Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Welcome back to The Driven Entrepreneur. It's Matt Browning, your host as per usual. And uh, this week, we're going to get into a topic that I'm pretty sure the reason why you click to download this if you're on demand, or hey, if you're driving the car, this is the reason why you're not going to change the dial, is we're talking about all things pricing in your business. And you know, for me, I think over the last 20 years, uh, running and starting six different businesses in my own career, Pricing has been something I've always wrestled with. You know, if you go too cheap, you're stuck in the quote unquote Walmart jewelry case. If you go too expensive, you're Tiffany's and people walk by. And how do you decide where you want to be? There's a lot to it, and my guest this week is going to help us figure that out wherever you are in business. Uh, that's Janine Liston. She's Europe's most trusted pricing strategist for small businesses, and she's actually a certified pricing professional. I didn't know that was a thing and I'm glad I do now because well, you want to have someone who actually knows what they're doing. Uh, her mission is to empower small businesses to sustainably grow their revenue and their profit and it's all about using pricing strategies and tactics to be able to confidently create and communicate and actually charge for the value they deliver. Uh, this is exciting. Janine, are you there my friend? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me here. I'm so glad. And you're coming all the way from Switzerland right now. So thank you for calling in and uh, making the time. I know it's uh, later in the day for you. It's morning for me right now. Um, first off, how's the weather in Switzerland? Uh, well, it's been what we call, I say in German, is the Wechselhof. So it's been changing. It's sunny one moment and raining the next. <laughs> oh, the Wechselhof. Wechselhof. <laughs> you sound like, I mean, that's literally the Midwest in the U.S. as well. So <laughs> it doesn't sound very different. I love it. Um, and you've been over there for like 20 years, you said. So you're, I'm assuming, pretty used to it by now. Yeah, I am. I am very much so. I love it. Well, let, let's let's jump in. So you're, you're doing this in your own mm -hmm. business. So you're an entrepreneur yourself. And mm -hmm. how long have you been in business? And what, yeah, first of all, how long have you been in this or other businesses? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started my career back in the 90s. Yeah, the early 90s as a structural engineer. And then after practicing for a few years, I left that and went into product management. And that's really when I first got into pricing without really knowing what it was. And was that in the and corporate environment? It was in the corporate environment. I worked for a company that made high voltage test and measurement equipment. Wow. <laughs> Very exciting. Or to put it another way, we made lightning. Whoa. Which is cool, right? <laughs> I never met a lightning maker. That's amazing. So was this with the same, it was a completely different job? Um, were there any similarities between, I mean, structural engineer, I've known a few mm -hmm. in my life. That's a very mm -hmm. specific kind of mindset and day-to-day -day and everything. When you got mm -hmm. into product development and, and, and so forth, was that a complete 180-degree change or was there some kind of a connection? I mean, I, I, for all intents and purposes, in some ways, yes. But being an engineer, you learn how to solve problems. So for me, it was more or less, okay, they handed me a product line when I got into the product management position. And one of the first things they gave me was a price list. It was 20 years old. And something about that just didn't sit right with me. So I took it upon myself to redo all the price lists. 
and we did not just my product line, but other product lines as well. And that was when I really first started to see that it was a topic that not many people, that anybody really specialized in, at least people around me, uh, and that it could bring a lot of value to the company. Got it. So, I mean, like most businesses in that business, I'm assuming, are probably, mm-hmm. they have the old pricing list. And I, I don't even know, if you don't focus on it, I guess it just becomes this default. Like, well, of course, this is about what people charge. Um what what would you say what would you say are the the normal ways when people aren't i don't know doing it well or thinking about it or mm-hmm. working with someone like you what are the normal ways that people end up pricing their product and i say end up right like yeah. what's the default yeah. way that they think about it even if they don't think about yeah. it i love this question Me so too. there's a difference between your product based companies and your service based companies Let's break I'm, those I'm generalizing down. here. And are, let's take a are, are look at the two. two. Different, are those the two different categories? There are other there are other categories, but they're kind of the traditional categories. Yeah. You know? Traditionally, okay. so, you're either selling a product or a service. Okay. So let's start either one. Let, let's talk about product companies. Okay. So product companies will oftentimes go, I make this really cool thing. So if you think of like a company that makes um, pens or high voltage measurement equipment, we make this really cool thing. It takes us all of these materials and all of this labor to make it. So we add up those costs, we put a margin on it and that's our price. Right. So the first default is working backwards from the actual cost of goods sold. Yeah. Okay. But actually they start even before that by saying, We're, we make this and this is what it's going to cost us. They're not actually going out to the market and saying, what is asking, what does the market need first? Yeah, that's an entirely different conversation as well. <laughs> so, so, but so that's that- where pricing starts, yeah? Now, is that is that pretty much the default for just about every product business or are there other I'm just wondering, like in, in people's minds, like how else do they think? Do they because I know some people in service will talk about that. You know, they go into, right. well, what am I worth or what's the value of this versus what are people actually looking for? I get that as well. Um, what are other ways people price products that I don't know, again, by default? So usually because the costs are something that they can calculate, that's where most of them will start. And then sometimes they will add in, well, this is what my competitors are offering. So let me just price a few percentages below that or 10% is typically what people say. I'll just price 10% below that. So those are really the most common defaults that you find in the, in the product business. But I would say 90% of them rely on a cost plus methodology it's it's so bizarre and i'm sure that's what you learn like you know in business school or you learn in in Mm -hmm. in different classes and whatnot take your cost plus and blah 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 but all of that is from the perspective of like like if you're in a tent if you're in a tribe you're inside Mm -hmm. the tent you're not looking out at Mm -hmm. the world you're not looking out at the people engaging you're not asking any questions other than what's internal to you and the company, which is a huge mistake. Amen. And it's absolutely true. And this is the reason I bring this up because in that high voltage company, we, you would think if I said, we're going to sell this product at 10 times material cost, you'd probably think that's a pretty good price. Sure. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. We had a product, it cost us $1 in material to produce it. So we sold it for 10, but a fully loaded labor hour was $75. So our cost without operating expenses was already 76, 75 for the hour to make it plus $1 for the material, but we were selling it for 10. Wow. 
Yeah, you start taking into account. I mean, you, I mean, like for a tech company, you take into account R and D. Like you know, people complain right. about iPhones and, and Apple and and different. I love Apple, right? But well, you hear these like rumblings on the internet of like it only costs X amount to produce this. It's like yeah, and that's why China can knock yeah. it off. But the R and D of actually developing this with engineers and software engineers and and hardware engineers for a year mm-hmm. is going to be a lot more than the actual you know metal aluminum glass that it takes to produce it that's why china can do a thousand dollar product for you know 50 bucks because parts are just the part so now you take so you take this product and you build it by by material cost and then hopefully you're smart and you add in r&d and you add in labor and then you might mm-hmm. even think I don't know if you consider, do people consider advertising, marketing, sales yeah. commissions, that sort of thing? Where does that come in? It should. In, where Does that come in mm-hmm. usually before you get involved? It depends on the type of business. So if you take people who, who understand the, the math or the financial part of the business, then usually they will have considered that. But a lot of small business owners don't feel really comfortable with the numbers in their business. <laughs> so they, they know they should be doing something, but they're not sure what they should be doing. Why don't uh, they feel comfortable? Probably because they've never had to think about it and they've never learned it before. They just don't, they don't, they don't think about they it. Just, they, in some ways they don't want to because they're uncomfortable. Maybe they're not good with math. Maybe they think you have to be a CFO to understand finance. Oh, um, you know, they just want to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, As if you there. right now, you're especially if you're a solopreneur, you're doing a startup, you're building something. You 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 don't wait to get a CFO once you're making over a million dollars. Like you're your own CFO, and you better be good at math. And if you're not good at math, you better marry someone who's good at math. You better bring them in the business and start budgeting and forecasting and planning and actually doing the math from day one. Oh, my goodness. Hey, let's switch into uh, – let's talk okay. about the service business real quick, Janine. Yeah. So for a service-based business, how does it differ? Let's talk about default real quick, and then we'll get into some solutions. Right. Um, what do they normally price services at? Obviously, it's not going to be cost plus. What do most service people – and we can talk expert speaker, author, coach world. We can talk CPA, massage therapist, hairdresser, um, lawn care, you know, you, you name it. Anyone who's doing a service. I would say the default mode is I do this really cool thing and this is what other people are charging for it. So I'll price 10% below that. Okay. So same thing. So they're going to start at competitors. They really start, they really turn to the competitors or... So I would say probably 80% of them are leaning towards that to start with. And about, you know, 20% are adding up their hours, which is a service-based version of a cost plus calculation. I'm so glad you said that. It's really interesting because, um, so I, I think there's two big areas for this. So one, mm-hmm. I think about, I, I've worked with so many massage therapists over the years mm-hmm. that like I'm in business and I'm broke and, you know, cause they started their own thing or they're sick of, um, I don't want to, well, I'll say it, massage envy, you know, like that, right. that model where they, they rent a space and they pay all this money. And, you know, it's, it's always, well, I can't charge more. What should I charge? All I know is I can charge $80 an hour. Well, why? Well, that's because that's what people pay for massages in my area. And they, and they stop there. And there's no, there's no concept of like packaging. There's no concept of bonuses. There's no concept of you're going to get this many massages. Plus maybe I'm going to do a session with you or I'll even do a coaching with you or you're going to get a foam roll or whatever it is. There's no, there's no 
conversation about anything more than massages in my area go for 75 to 95 so i have to charge 75 to 95 and that's the end of it help fit let's fix this how do you get out of that conversation and why is it valid to get outside of that. Right. So there's a couple things going on there. And the first is if you and your business are targeting um, high net worth individuals for your massages and you're only charging 80 bucks an hour, they'll probably never come to you. <laughs> so you need to look at who you're targeting with what you're offering. And that makes a big difference. If I'm a manufacturer of pens, like writing pens, like implements, then if I'm selling pens for college students and I want to sell pens to corporate executives, they might be two different products. They're certainly two different target groups. They might have different needs and they certainly will have different willingness or ability to pay. And this is where both the product businesses and the service businesses get it wrong is they start with what they do, not with who they're targeting. So the very first thing to look at, and guys, you're probably doing this already, but if you haven't, and even if you think you have, stop for a minute. And before you even, like, forget, like what if you just washed the table and you said, like, I'm a pen company, and you said, all right, forget about all the pens we have and we think we have and we're going to have. Let's just talk about who actually does the writing right? Mm -hmm. Let's actually get into the market world. And it's funny when you mentioned that, you know, I, I've been, um, I've been the student that got, you know, the 50 pack of Bix for a dollar 20 or whatever. <laughs> and I've been a, a mortgage broker running my own shop in my twenties with a Mont Blanc in my, in my pocket. Oh. And I, it was like, yeah, of course I want a $200 pen. Why wouldn't you want a $200 pen? Because people that sign, you know, deals this big and contracts and commissions. It's like there's there's this feeling of, well, the the more money I'm supposed to be making, the nicer pen I should have because that was my my tool of choice, mm -hmm. so to speak. <laughs> and But if you try to, my point is you try to go to the college student and explain the value of a $200 pen, there is zero chance that they're going to be with you on that, you know, unless right. they're, you know, all excited about becoming rich one day or whatever. But the point is right. you go to one demographic and try to explain the value proposition of the other, mm -hmm. and it's going to be falling on deaf ears and vice versa. Do you want a pen that's like dirt? You want the best deal, don't you? A lot of people assume that just because you're wealthy, you still want the best deal. Everybody wants the best deal, the best price. Do you believe that? I think it depends on what your definition of the best price is. Well, every, let me yeah. say it differently. Some people believe everybody wants the cheapest price possible. Uh, Why wouldn't you pay less if you could? Do you believe that? No, I believe that that's a mindset of a particular type of buyer. <laughs> but I do, I do believe, I do believe that we all have things that we buy in which we behave that way. Tell me about that. Yeah, because. I mean, like I, I always give my poor dad, dear old dad, he always gets in this example, but when he goes to buy a plane ticket years ago, when they came out to visit me, he went to buy a plane ticket and he was so excited. He had spent like two weeks researching. He saved a hundred dollars on each ticket. So $200. And they ended up flying from San Francisco to Salt Lake city, Salt Lake city to Charles de Gaulle in Paris from Charles de Gaulle in Paris to uh, Toulouse, I think in France. And then they drove the rest of the way to Switzerland <laughs> and oh he saved a hundred bucks. <laughs> and he spent, right? not only did he spend two weeks of his life, so he was working for $7 an hour yeah. <laughs> or whatever, right? <laughs> you know, and so, but for him, when it. he purchases an airline ticket, he is trying to get the cheapest deal he can. He becomes cash poor time rich 
Yeah. Yes. So he's putting all this time to it and pretending or behaving like he's cash poor. Whereas me, when I buy an airline ticket, I'm willing to get there as directly as possible and I'm willing to pay a bit more for it. That's right. Yeah. So, so I think what we're talking about with pricing, I like to get into this part of the conversation, Janine, mm-hmm. um, something I, I've taught for years just in, in the business space and also in the personal development space is values alignment Yes. and understanding that. So a value is simply the things that are most important to you. So in your personal life, you can have a value like in, in my health category, I have a value of energy. I have a value of waking up feeling good. I have a value of looking good, whatever it is. And these values can go in different orders. And we have values in relationships. We have values with our kids. We have values at work. It's the difference between what makes you happy or miserable in a company you work for, right? Or why you might even start your own business. So can we talk about values in relationship to pricing? Because that's really what this is, right? It's speaking to a customer's value for the plane ticket. You want to be direct. Your dad wants to save the money. So how does an airline price their plane tickets? And you can pick any any example company you want. <laughs> I don't. We don't need to do an airline because that's a, a little bit of a that's debacle. A beast. Yeah, especially in 2021, it's like who knows yeah. what's going to be happening with it. Um, but how how do we bring values into that conversation, and how do we learn what they are? Because we want to know what they are with our customer, right? Mm-hmm. And how do how do yeah. we use those? Excellent, excellent question. So when once you've defined who you're targeting and what you're offering them, then you take that main offer that you have and you start looking at how can you can extract the value. And I use something called a show me the money matrix. I like it already. <laughs> you can take the American or you can take the girl out of the America, but not the America out of the girl. Um, and basically <laughs> you're asking four questions. How do I help my customer? be more competitive, reduce their risk, improve the quality of either what they're offering, if it's B2B or their life or well-being or whatever, if it's B2C. And the fourth one is help them bring economic efficiency, which is the time or money. And with those things, and not you won't find necessarily all four in every business, but with those things, you can start to quantify I help my customers be more competitive, which means that they can sell more of or yeah, more of these at a better price, let's say, or I help them. So I had a client last year who is a consultant, they're a consultant who's consulting to pharma companies and they were doing something related to digital compliance. So how the pharma companies have to do all their compliance work in a digital context. And the risk factor was if their their customer wasn't compliant, they would have to shut the business down. And it was right. a $3 billion business. So the risk, at risk, you could go as far as to say it was $3 billion or their profit times however number of years they would need to be shut down to rectify the problem. And when you compare you know, $3 billion to a consulting package that's half a million, you know, if somebody told me I could spend a half a million to get three billion, I'd be like, okay, where do I find it? (laughs) So this is, this is a big example, but you trying to put your price into the context of the value that customer can get from it. Right. So the value of either maybe the risk avoiding or Mm -hmm. the, the ups, because it's not only the upside, right? It's also avoiding the downside to your point. Yes. Yes, Love that. it's both. And so so the very first thing to consider is, let's go back to our massage therapist uh, example. Okay. So 
the massage therapist is generally saying, well, massages charge X per hour. So the only way they can increase pricing is by increasing their hours, right? And what you're saying is, what if we connected it to the value? So what are some ways to look at value in an industry like that? And you could pick hairdressing, you could pick landscaping, you could pick um, uh, massage, something in that realm that pretty much has a, a, a lockdown on what the quote unquote hourly rate is. Right. So, I mean, let's stick with the massage example. So one of the, one of the things that I'd like to say before we start that is that if you can, if you're only pricing by the hour, you're generally leaving money opportunity on the table. I always tell people, I say that, um, time is just the wrapper. Your services are delivered in. (laughs) Ooh, let's say that again. Time (laughs) is only the wrapper. Your services are delivered in. Right. Right. So I don't buy the milk because of the milk carton. I yes. buy it because of the milk. And I don't buy a massage milk. because of the hour that the therapist gives me, right? It's what you get out of that hour. Yes. Or it could be what's delivered as part of that hour. So the value that you could bring could be the location. It could be the style of massage that you deliver. Often it's the experience. Yeah. The experience that you create for your customers. So the massage may be similar to what other people do. But if you're creating an experience and environment for them that is aligned with their values and what they're looking for, then they're going to be willing to pay more. Yeah, I love that. So, so again, your point, you said um, you could update location and maybe it's as simple as, you know, I come to you and all of a sudden, hey, and I know um, uh, someone I used to work for years and years ago as a house right on the beach in Southern California, like overhanging the cliff. And he mm-hmm. has had the same massage person forever. Because they're going to show up, they're going to come, you know, flexible schedule on the time, they're going to rock up to the house and then go get a massage overlooking the beach. And that's what he wants to do. And that's what he's going to pay for. And there's no way he's going to go and download an app on a phone that he may or may not be able to work very well and go log in to Massage Envy and then go find a location and then drive up into the city, you know, like it's just night and day difference for what the actual experience is. I'd say it's not even the same experience. It's barely even the the, same thing. It's like the difference between a salon and supercuts. (laughs) Go back to the eighties. Supercuts. No offense, supercuts. You know, you, you serve a market and that's, I think that's one of the big, the big messages when it comes to pricing. If you try to serve everyone, this is yes. one of the big no-nos in pricing. If you're trying to, unless that's your strategy, yeah. But if you're trying to serve everyone, then the breadth or the range of prices that people are seeking is so large. The only way for you to you know, get enough volume is to be on the lower side of that scale. But if you can be more specific about, doesn't mean you don't want to sell to any, you know, to other groups, but if you say, okay, first I want to target this group, then you can price for that, sell for that, market for that. And as that builds and grows, because you can connect with it better, then you will start getting people from the groups just outside of that. And then if you want, you can start to bring offers for them and, you know, and build your business from there. But I think quite often, especially with new businesses, people try to cast a really wide net and it doesn't suit them in the long term. 
Yeah. You know, I always say, Janine, if like if you have a, you know, a multimillion or billion dollar advertising and marketing budget, Mm -hmm. you can afford to potentially like market to everyone. You can be a Coca-Cola. But you're looking at Coca-Cola and, you know, you get a 12 pack for whatever it is, three, four dollars. But then you have Virgil's soda and you get a four pack for almost twice the cost. And they have a market, and it's certainly not everybody. And it's not your dad, quote unquote, right, looking for the cheapest soda. It's someone looking yeah. for something different. Um, as we as we kind of wind down in our time, this has been amazing. Thank you for just just sharing so openly and 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 helping us so much. It's amazing. Um, what are some mistakes that people make on the other end? Especially, I want to talk about the aggressive side, like. You know, someone goes, you know what, I'm worth it and I bring so much value and I think I save people so much money. So my value is $50,000. So that's what I'm charging. And they end up being so kind of overpriced and, you know, and let's just say they have the right market, they have the right deal, but it's just, it's just Mm -hmm. too much and they don't understand why. Can we talk about the, the flip side of the coin charging too much? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is something I run into rarely, but have. (laughs) (laughs) I would say most people err on the other side, but it has, it has happened from time to time. You hear that? You guys are charging too little. 99% (laughs) of the time you're charging too little. The pricing lady just told us. Oh, that's, those are your words, Matt, not mine. That's right. But in the the rare chance you're charging too much, how would I know I'm charging too much besides nobody's buying? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the beside that no one is buying is you, you look at the marketplace and you look at who you're targeting. Um, if you're targeting an offer towards, you know, people whose disposable income is say very tiny compared to what you're offering, then they're just, they're just not going to pull the resources together to do it unless they're that convinced. And, but if, if the fair, if the price is, is not right, then they'll have a time justifying it to themselves because it just, I don't even know how to explain that. Sorry. <laughs> no, I, I actually think that was, that was really, really good. You mentioned, and that's something that I never considered is what's the disposable mm-hmm. income at that, at that income level. Right. Um, and you don't necessarily need to say my target market is people who make this much money, but if you're targeting executives versus targeting um, admin clerks or targeting mm-hmm. stay-at-home moms or dads or whatever it is, mm-hmm. that is probably going to be a different disposable income. Meaning, after their you know mm-hmm. life expenses, how much money do they have to spend on stuff like yours? I would say for most small businesses, and I'm I'm generalizing here, but this is based on my experience working with lots of different companies is that it will be less catastrophic if you're slightly overpriced than if you're underpriced. Wow. (laughs) And and the reason it, well, it's, and like I said, it's a, it's a generalization, but there's a caveat here and you have to be, the caveat is you have to be able to sell the value. And yeah. even if you are selling the exa- if your massage uh, uh, shop, <laughs> massage, what do you sure. call it? I don't, um, I don't think we use if, parlor if, anymore. Not since. Yeah. Well, but I was trying to avoid the word. <laughs> that, yeah. That, br- that brings up weird stuff. But like, okay. Your, so your massage business. Business. Thank you. <laughs> if your massage business, if you feel you're offering exactly the same thing as the other person. 
but you're better at selling the value, you will have an advantage. And the perfect example I can leave you with on this one is there's two lemonade stands. You're walking down the street, you see two lemonade stands. One says lemonade 25 cents. The other says lemonade 50 cents. Which one would you buy? Most of us, if it's kids, especially, we might be nice, buy a couple of them. But what if the one that says lemonade 50 cents also says clean water included? Ooh. The value communication is what's going to make the difference. And if these two lemonade stands are, you know, somewhere in a country where clean water isn't necessarily uh, always available to you, then it brings an even bigger message. So this is why I say, even if you're slightly on the higher side of pricing, but your value communication is good, then you will likely still be able to sell. That's really good. And you can bring anything to the forefront. So so I just want to kind of wrap this this thought up. So the lemonade stands, you could say clean water used. You could say alkaline lemonade. You could say organic ingredients. And there's a difference. And so many- Locally sourced. There you go, right? And <laughs> on and on time. and on. Yeah, we only use uh, ex-con rehabilitated lemonade squeezer, you know? <laughs> And, but now there's a different proposition. So you have the cheapo one and then, and what's funny is when you start saying that, Janine, I start looking at the 25 cent lemonade and sorry kids, but I start looking at that going, oh, that's the cheap stuff. And for me, I'm like, I don't want that. You know, I shop the organic market and I'm not trying to be, you know, mm -hmm. uh, bougie or whatever, but I pay probably three to four times for some of my produce and ingredients because it's completely and totally worth it to me. And if, mm -hmm. and here's the thing, if you think that people don't think like that, you're listening, you don't think people think like that, everybody would shop at the dollar store and there's nothing wrong with the dollar store, but you know that when you walk to the dollar store, you're going to get what you pay for. You're going to get the certain kind of ingredients. You're going to get the surplus boxes. You're going to get, um, and you can get a good deal, right? Not saying again, not knocking it. And you're also going to get the bad fluorescent lights and you're going to, you know, the whole deal is it might be a mess on aisle 12 and you're going to get the experience of the lower end pricing. And there's just people who are like, I don't want to do that. I want something better and it's worth it. So price for value. Um, Janine. Price for your customer. Price for your customer. Sorry to, inter to interrupt Bring you, it. but what you just said brings us right back to where I started at the beginning, which is your pricing is rooted in a deep understanding of your customer. Yes. There are customers who want the cheapest price who want what's good enough. And those, if those are the customers you're targeting, then you need a strategy with your pricing that suits that. If your customers are looking for a different experience, an experience that's more aligned with their values, and maybe their values are, you know, to be uh, eating organic foods, then you need to base what you offer and how you price it and everything off of that. So it all goes back to understanding who your customer is. Very, very well said. I couldn't say it better myself. Janine, you've been just an unbelievable resource for us. And I want to, I wish we could continue longer, but we are out of time. So before you guys head off, um, what is the best way we can 
plug in with you, connect with you. I know you have this really, you have a bunch of great resources on your website, obviously, thepricinglady.com. Super easy to remember that one. But I want to, uh, you have a pricing scorecard. You can do like a self assessment. Can you tell us about that briefly? And then how can we find, uh, find out more with you? Yeah. So I have the self assessment pricing scorecard. It is something you can download and you can do yourself on your own time. And it looks at five areas that are relevant to pricing and helps you to understand where things are going well and where you can start to improve upon what you're doing in order to improve your pricing. That's awesome. Hey, who doesn't love a self-assessment, man? Facebook and all these, <laughs> they're making a, a bundle on quizzes. And, you know, I, I love a good self-assessment. I, I took a profit self-assessment uh, earlier in the year in my business. So I'm excited. I'm jumping over to pricinglady.com and I'm going to grab my pricing scorecard. There's actually a bunch of other freebies on there too that are really, really cool resources. You have a mini audit about optimizing your offer. You have some DIY tool guides. Um, you have a pricing toolkit, a, a checklist to make sure you're not too cheap or too expensive. This is a gold mine. So if you need work on your pricing in any shape, in any way, shape, or form, if you think you're too expensive, you think you're too cheap, if you're not sure if you which way you are, take the self-assessment pricing scorecard. It's at thepricinglady.com, and we'll have all the links in our show notes if you get the show on demand. Uh, that is the best place to go. Thank you, Janine Liston. You've been amazing. I sure appreciate your time, your effort, uh, and your pricing. Hey, what should we sell this episode for? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a great question. I've never been asked that before. <laughs> well, that's how I like to end these shows. Guess it. what? We're going to sell it for free, which is way too low. <laughs> but we're, of course, on the dial. So uh, tune in next week to The Driven Entrepreneur. And you can always get all these shows on demand. Um, generally, they're ad-free. There's no paywall. You can go back to almost 300 uh, archive episodes with some amazing, amazing entrepreneurs just like Janine Liston the pricing lady. Thanks for listening. Stay out there and stay driven. And this time when you drive and stay driven in your business, make sure you're driving the right pricing. I'm Matt Browning. You can find me at Matt Browning on all social media. And I will see you next week with another driven entrepreneur. Bye-bye. 